It's the most all-star studded challenge ever. And this time, it's every competitor for themselves. Best challenge ever! The Challenge All-Stars. New season now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Go to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of the Good Old Podcast. I'm Jack French, really, for a while, who's 24-7. And I'm back from vacation, and things are going to pick up pretty quickly. Um, obviously, football season is just around the corner. Fall camp is starting on August 3rd. Fall sports is almost in full spang. A lot of them are already in training. There's been captain's practices for Virginia women's soccer. There are things going on on grounds. And obviously, Virginia men's basketball is heading to Italy this month. So a lot of things to talk about. Although I was on vacation last week, I did manage to get to Charlotte, North Carolina for ACC kickoff. Where, yes, the big talk was realignment. Um, And if you listen to what the ACC commissioner, Jim Phillips, said, I mean, his his speech was everything's great in the ACC neighborhood. Um, And... They're trying to close the gap in revenue by, you know, trying to figure out other options to reduce their revenue gap between ACC and other conferences. But it's not all sunny in a neighborhood when it comes to ACC. And I've, and a lot of people didn't really think that that um, opening remarks um, for Phillips uh, did its job. Um, and it's uh, funny to me that, few days later, you know, he was saying about everything's good in the ACC. And a few days later, Big Ten's um, commissioner, Kevin Warren, came out and says that the Big Ten is not done expanding. So in sum up, realignment chaos will continue for the foreseeable future. Nothing is set in stone. Things are still fluid. So obviously we'll monitor that. And I'll probably do a, a focused on a realignment episode in the next few weeks here. Um, but I'm not going to focus it on this episode because we have a lot to get to. Um, one of those is talking about what Virginia football players and Elliot said during AC kickoff, but also I have a special guest, Virginia Ford, Becca Jarrett will join on the show. She'll come and interview the second half of the episode, talk about the upcoming season, her health, her rehab, and also some, uh, a pretty neat initiative that she and fellow teammates started, um, at UVA. So student athletes, have a voice and kind of focus on their mental health. So we'll talk to her in a little bit. But first, let's talk about Virginia football and ACC kickoff. So the media voted that Virginia is now fourth in the preseason poll in the Coastal behind Miami, Pitt, and North Carolina. Virginia is ahead of Virginia Tech, Georgia Tech, and Duke. Honestly, I I think that's about right. Um, if you've kind of followed, you know, some of my predictions and um what I've what I talked about about the season. I still think Vegas is pretty spot on with their seven and a half prediction of wins this season. I think um, Miami is a heavy favorite with Van Dyke under center and a, a lot of good skilled playmakers and they hit the transfer portal pretty hard. I can understand why they're leading the coastal. Pitt and UNC are two teams when you look at the ACC that have a couple question marks. Obviously UNC's offense does have question marks around it, especially under center. So that one, I, I'm not sure. Um, Pitt also has some questions on the offensive side of the ball, but because of Pitt's defense, I always always think that they could be right there between two or three. So that's why I, I'm not as shocked by Pitt at number two. Um, but honestly, I think there's a lot of rebuilding teams. Obviously, Duke, first-year head coach, uh, Elko is gonna is, is needs a rebuild. So 
I, I understand why Duke is at the bottom. Georgia Tech, Jeff Collins is on a hot seat. There's a reason why he's in the hot seat. And if you look at Georgia Tech's schedule this upcoming season, I mean, Jeff Collins might be off the hot seat by just winning six games. They have a really grueling non-conference schedule, um, which includes, um, obviously, in-state rival Georgia. But if you look at that schedule, it's, it's pretty rough for them. So I can, so I can see why Georgia Tech is six. Um, like Virginia, Virginia Tech is also rebuilding new head coach with Brent Pry. Those two are, are kind of the two that you can see kind of switch. Uh, the only thing I will say, and I've said this several times, because of Virginia's skill players returning, I could see them having an edge over Virginia Tech this year. Just because if you look at that offense, if the O-line is gelling and is working and they have more depth in that position through experience and reps, by the time they reach Virginia Tech, I could see UVA beating Virginia Tech if you go one-on-one with a couple of their skilled players. I think the former staff developed a lot of these players really well or identified talent very well. So that's why I have I agree there. Um, so that was the uh, big news as far as preseason polls. And then obviously Virginia head coach Tony Elliott, Brendan Armstrong, Keaton Thompson, Nick Jackson spoke to the media. The biggest takeaways for me, honestly, you know, talking to these guys, they say they answer these questions all the time. And if you follow us, on our podcast and Ohio's 24-7, we've had access to a couple of these guys several times over the course of this offseason just with how NIL and it, it kind of works this year. And they kind of said the same thing, that everything is is moving in the right direction. I think what stood out when I talked to both Brennan and Keaton was that they said that the offense felt like it was clicking more towards this latter part just before the fall camp, which is great. They said that you know, they were doing seven on sevens a lot. They were really working on understanding the lingo because that was what Brennan Armstrong told me was that the biggest difference in the offense when you're trying to adjust is that lingo. You you need to be on the same language. You're, you're learning different interpretation, different languages. So you're translating what you were doing in the past. So now he's not as confused as before. He understands the lingo that Coach Lamb, Coach Kitchings, and now Coach Higgins uses. So he's able to use the lingo, and that's making sure that everyone's on the same page. He said their biggest thing that they want to work on in fall camp is making sure that communication is there. He said last year, um, last spring, uh, under still when Bronco Menno was there, the offense was able to click a lot during that spring. That's why last spring they were able to click and they were able to get the ground running during the season. This year, he says, the fall camp is where they're going to have to click a little bit more, but they're moving in the right direction and they felt more, more comfortable. And he said, I expect it to be more comfortable because we are having a lot of reps. So that was the big takeaway from them. And also they, they really look, those three guys really bought into the program. You, you talk to anybody and you know, those three guys have bought into the program talking about the construction phase, how they're still building a very big house. If I quote Nick Jackson. So, um, and I know Nick Jackson was representing the defense, but because of the way with Elliot Thompson and Armstrong, when you th- when you think about that, Elliot is actually an offensive-minded coach. So the focus was a lot on the offense and just him um, coming in as a first-time head coach. Um, and I already touched on it. the The biggest, you know, I don't want to say the biggest question uh, because obviously he answered a lot of questions about Armstrong and what he could bring to the table. But obviously, the offensive line is obviously going to be the biggest question going into the season. Any preview of UVA will have what is this O line going to look like? And honestly, that's why a lot of national pundits and national analysts, when they look through, see, you know, Virginia struggling at certain parts of the season, although their schedule is pretty good for a first-time head coach and for a team that 
possibly need some time to gel that offensive line. When Tony Elliott was asked about the O-line, one of the first things he said was that his biggest regret when he came to UVA was not able to recruit those guys to stay at Virginia. And honestly, I agree. If he he had that O-line, I think the conversation would be very different. I think even this preseason poll, I would, I would, I would be pretty shocked if UVA was not even, I don't know if they would have one. I think Miami would still get the most votes on that, but I I would be shocked if they weren't at least two, if that O-line returned. So right now, during his media, when he was at the media event, he said there was probably around seven or eight guys that he felt confident in. And he mentioned that there was three guys that were very experienced on that line with Jonathan Leach, a guy that we've heard so many times, even now in the offseason, a lot of people are very impressed with what he's done. Um, Logan Taylor, um, he's one that we didn't really see much in spring because he was coming off an injury. Um, so he was limited in the spring. And then Derek Devine, again, he was didn't play in the spring game because he was injured, but he was a person that we heard quite a few times during the spring that you know was a, was a guy to watch during the fall. So you have those three guys that have some experience. And then you got John Paul Flores, who was mentioned by Elliot as a possible guy that could come and help and contribute early. And then Justice Johnson at center. And then other guys that have done a good offseason is Charlie Patterson and Noah Josie. Um, they both transformed their bodies, according to Elliot. And uh, they really worked hard in the offseason. So that's going to be the question in the O-line. And again, we're going to have Coach 2J available to us in the media on Thursday. So we'll be asking his thoughts on the offensive line. But I think that is the biggest question. And that's obviously what we took from the ACC kickoff. So um, a lot of a lot of optimism among those guys and how this offense can click ahead of the season. So uh, again, we'll have Virginia coaches available for the meeting on Thursday. And then August 3rd is when fall camp starts. But football is not the only sport on ground starting. Virginia women's soccer is another sport gearing up and one player excited to be back in training for the first time in 11 months forward Rebecca Jarrett and she joins us in the show here to talk about not only the upcoming season but also a cool initiative called Uncut UVA which is a a site where student athletes can use their voice and talk about whatever they want any any they do personal essays personal videos so she comes on the show to talk about her rehab, the upcoming Virginia women's soccer season, and also the initiative of Uncut UVA. So we'll be right back. Welcome back to the Good Old Podcast. I'm Jackie Franchuli for Wahoo's 24-7. And like I teased earlier in the show, we have a special guest, Rebecca Jarrett from UVA Women's Soccer. Becca, thank you so much for joining us today. No problem. Thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here. And you, it's it's nice to have you here on a day, well, on a week that you received some great news. You are clear to play again, first time I in am. 11 months that you're training with your I team. Am. How fantastic is that? It's so exciting. I was actually house-sitting for my professor um, this week, which was kind of funny. So we were walking his dog, and I got a text from our athletic trainer, and I was with Haley Hopkins, who's also on the team. And I was like, oh, my God. She was like, What? <laughs> I was like, I can play, <laughs> um, which is kind of funny and, and super exciting. But yeah, it's it's incredible. I think I kind of forgot during the rehab process that I was like rehabbing for something because 11 months is is a long time and you kind of lose sight of what's all the way at the end, you know, in the, in the early stages. But it's, it's awesome. How did it feel to put on those cleats, 
and head out there with your team? It's like, again, you just like forget that that's even a possibility. I think at the very beginning of rehab, I was like, I'm never going to play again. Like a year was such a long time. I think I didn't, I was on crutches for seven and a half weeks post-op because I also had a meniscus tear. So the first couple of months, it was like, oh, soccer is so far out. Like I'm never wearing cleats again. Um, so I think like this week, especially getting to not only put them on, but to like train and play and be involved in, in some of the things we have going on is like unbelievable. I kind of forget, like I said, that that was even going to happen. So it's been awesome and it's it's so exciting and my team is great. So it's been a really a good week so far. It must have been so frustrating. I know every injury is frustrating because you have to sit on the sidelines. And like you said, you're sitting on the sidelines for almost a year. How when, when how did you manage that mentally? Because a lot of people talk about the physical aspect of recovering from an injury, but mentally it takes a toll on you because you're not playing, you're not contributing. And, and it's that frustration level that can kind of delay also your recovery if you don't really manage it. Yeah, it's definitely difficult. I had decided to take my COVID year. So I, I knew I was going to be returning for fifth season with that additional eligibility, but I'd obviously planned that before I knew I was going to get hurt. So I think I was super excited that I had done that, but it was also really sad for me at the same time that it wasn't, it was like I was give, getting back a season that I kind of lost. It wasn't like an extra one anymore. Um, So that was kind of a hard transition to kind of think about, but I was lucky that I did have that extra year. I think I struggled a lot on game day, just being at the beginning, I was sitting up in the press box because moving around the field was just too difficult being on crutches and being very immobile. So I would go to the pregame meal with the team and then I would leave and then I wouldn't come back until probably 10 minutes before the game, go up to the press box, sit with my parents and a couple other people, um, watch the game and then I would leave again. So I wasn't really involved at the very beginning, I wasn't even going in the locker room because getting up and down the stairs and in the elevator and all of that clockner was so difficult. Just it was logistically impossible. So it was like I was a, a complete fan. I had no involvement with our team at the very, very beginning. Um, and then as I moved forward a little bit, had some more mobility, I was still going up up in the press box. So I was still removed from the team, but I would come down at halftime and it would take me like 10 minutes just to crutch my way out of the press box, get in the elevator, go down the stairs, go around the back of the stadium, get in the locker room. By the time I got there, it was like, okay, go back up. Um, so I, I wasn't super hands-on in that, in that phase. I was also doing my rehab during team training um, because it was hard for me to manage my schedule. My schedule was super tight in the fall and it was really not optimized for an injury. So I was not going to practice. I was not present in the games. I was in and out of my own kind of stuff during meetings and things like that. So I was very removed, like just from a social standpoint from the team, I would go multiple days without seeing some of the players, which is like unheard of because we spend a lot, a lot, a lot of time together. So that was really difficult for me. Um, also being that immobile, I had to rely on a, a lot of people. I couldn't drive for almost eight weeks. I couldn't walk and hold something at the same time, being on crutches for, for seven um, I, I couldn't do a lot of stuff. My like apartment, my Charlottesville apartment bed was lofted. So I'd have to like get help to get in my bed at the beginning. I couldn't shower. Like I couldn't really do anything on my own. I'm a pretty <clears throat> independent person. So that was very new to me. Um, so I had to learn pretty quickly to like be okay with that, which was, was really hard. And I, I just, I wasn't used to it. So I think there were a lot of things I didn't think would happen and you don't really foresee. Of course, you don't think you're ever going to get hurt. But when you do, I think you think, I'll just conquer the physical part. Yeah, it's not going to be fun, but you get through it. But there were things that kind of came up throughout the course of it, especially in that early phase that I was not mentally 
ready for or expecting just because it was so new. I've never been hurt before ever. So a lot of new things came at me and came at me pretty fast. It's it's a long road when you when you're trying to manage like you're talking as a student athlete, your schedule is already pretty set with everything going on. With an injury, you have additional rehab and all the other stuff you have to deal with. When, when you're doing all this, how I, I don't want to say how grateful, but at the same time, when you folks see on Virginia Athletics how they're focused on mental health and adding a third sp sports psychologist too, do you feel like you had that mental support, that mental health support during all this because of the additional oh, completely? Uh, hundred percent. I, so at the, again, at the very beginning when I couldn't drive, I would have one of my friends, whether it was a teammate or, or someone else, pick me up from my apartment in the morning, take me to training grounds to do my morning rehab session. I would sometimes, if I didn't have class, so Monday, Wednesday, Friday, last fall, I didn't have classes. I just had class Tuesday, Thursday, which again, when you're not hurt, that's great because you can knock it all out, go to all four classes in one day, go to practice and go home. And it's great. When you're hurt, it's not great. Um, so I would, get dropped off on Monday morning, go to my morning rehab session. And then I would go to the locker room and sit in the locker room all day because I didn't really want to have someone else pick me up, bring me back home and then pick me up again. So I'd stay in the locker room all day, do my homework, and then go back to training into the athletic training room, do my evening or like afternoon kind of rehab session, and then have someone pick me up and bring me home. So I was spending 10 hours at, at, at training grounds, which again is not what I was used to. And I think after a while, this sort of like, monotony of that routine started to really wear on me. So I started going to see one of our sports psychologists here and just kind of like talking through the things that I was feeling. Cause it, it is a lot to, I have great friends and great family members, but that is a lot to kind of put on them and ask them for advice when it's uncharted territory for them too. So I was very grateful that I had someone to go to. And at the beginning, I didn't really know what I was walking into, to be honest. I was like, I just need to speak to somebody. I'm just going to go. Um, and then as I kind of got into a routine with that and was going at my peak, sometimes twice a week for, you know, months. Um, I, I, I'm so grateful to have had that and to have found that fit. And I think that's another thing that you kind of take for granted is that you might not mesh well with everybody. So I felt very lucky in knowing that there were multiple people that I could talk to. And if I, for some reason, the the vibe wasn't right of that session, I had other places I could go. Luckily for me, it, it was it was a perfect fit, and I am so grateful to Jason Freeman, who is who I um, spoke with in that in that phase, and I still continue to to see him sometimes. Back to see him this week, um, but I I can't even fully articulate how huge that was for me to have someone of an outsider, if that kind of makes sense. He's obviously very involved with. Virginia Athletics was not a teammate, it's not my parents, it wasn't my close friend, but someone that I trusted and was still involved in my sort of Virginia ecosystem was huge. And, and we're going to touch about what's what to look forward to women's soccer season, but I want to kind of bounce off this uh, mental health and all, all the stuff that's been going on behind the scenes at UVA, because you're part of a student athlete organized site called uncut at uva.com which is when student athletes come on and tell stories and a lot of topics do talk about mental health and student athletes how important is it to have an outlet like this for student athletes to share stories like this and you are a major part of it it's it's huge i think if i had to pick my my favorite thing about my time at uva i'd put uncut pretty high up on that list i think especially now it's it's all the more timely. I think we're in the middle of somewhat of a mental health crisis with, with student athletes. And I think to have a space that you feel 
comfortable and welcome to talk about something that is not related to your sport is really powerful. And it is, it is still quite rare. And I think being students ourselves, you get a different vantage point from people. And we, we give everyone the right to back out at any point. So you could come to us with a story, have the whole thing written, and the night before it's going to be published, say, I don't want to publish it anymore. You're more than welcome to do that. And we've had people do that before. But I think just that experience of coming to your peers with an experience with a story, or even if it's something really light and uplifting, like we had one of the girls who's uh, uh, on our team, Cam Lexo, talking about her newfound passion for American Sign Language. And that is like her thing. Like she she took a class here a couple of years ago. Now she's like, absolutely loves it. And to have her be able to share that with people that don't know her was a really cool thing for her to be able to do. So, you know, on that end of the spectrum, it's just like a cool thing to share something that you're really passionate about that's not your sport with people that know you because of your sport. On the flip side, I think it's very comforting and sort of cathartic to be able to write down and share and talk with another person who you might not know super well. Um, we have a team of, of editors who are, are great, who kind of facilitate that um, communication throughout the whole sort of writing process. I think that process is, is huge for some people. And I feel very lucky that we've been able to put together a team of people that make people feel that comfortable because it's not easy, especially when some of these stories are super heavy. You know, when you're 20 years old, you have your own life going on, your own sport, your own things, and someone's coming to you and telling you about something that's deeply personal to them. It, it is a, it's a privilege, but it is a lot of pressure to kind of manage that relationship. And I think the people we have on our team have, have been so incredible. And I am so honored to have helped bring that to, to UVA and, and facilitate that top to bottom, that whole process. Yeah, you are the co-founder with uh, Lacey McCormack, um, also the creative yes. director. How, how did you guys kind of come about making this site? Did Who did you have to approach at UVA to kind of get this started? Yeah, so I'll go back about a year and a half. So Lacey and Lachlan Ryan, who are both uh, members of the women's soccer team with me, approached me about possibly helping them get this started. And it started with them because one of Lachlan's friends was involved at the UNC chapter of Uncut, which is the original one started a couple of years back. And it spread to a couple other schools. I know Duke has one, Virginia Tech has one, um, Northwestern has one, quite a few schools have them. So it's kind of spread since starting at UNC, but the UNC girl that um, Lachlan knows approached her and asked, you know, would you be interested in getting this started at UVA? And Lachlan was super excited too, but at the time she was a first year and she was like, I don't know anything. I don't know anyone. I Let me see if I can kind of recruit some people and, and see and I'll get back to you. So she spoke to Lacey, who was also super invested and loved the sound of the project, but was still a little, there was still a lot of question marks. So after a little bit, they started to get the ball rolling. They reached out to me to kind of help them, you know, push it forward. And I was honestly super grateful that they asked me and that they thought I'd be capable of helping them. It was definitely harder than I thought it would be out the gate. This was pre-NIL. So we weren't trying to, you know, have people's eligibility taken away because they wrote a story with us. So, you know, there was a compliance component that we had to kind of get ironed out. There was just a logistics component and sort of like a media relations component. I'm sure, you know, you can't, we can't just ask to interview people, you know, casually text them like, hey, you want to, you know, there was some red tape in that sense. So we had to kind of figure out what our process was going to be there. We had to recruit a team of people to join us on the back end because the three of us, especially being all on the same team, have the same schedule. So if one of us is busy, we're probably all busy. Um, so recruiting a team of people that one, care about what it is that we're doing and want to be involved, but also kind of have the right skills. I think the three of us worked quite well together as a, as a three-person sort of team where I lack, they pick up and vice versa. 
but it, it was far too much to do as just a, a three-man team. So we recruited both student athletes and non-student athletes. And I think our team, our first ever team was an incredible mix of people. We had a, maybe just under half of them were non-athletes. So people that would have never met each other otherwise. And I think that was a really cool thing um, with a very interesting range of talents. We had photographers and videographers and editors who were super involved in the writing process, people that are more PR focused that were super great at reaching out to the necessary parties. Um, so we put together a really great team. And that took us about a year before we ever published anything. It took me a very long time to build the website. I have no website developing experience at all. So it was a really like a learn as you go kind of thing for me. So that took a long time. There were a, a lot of moving parts that I don't think we we realized. And in the moment you kind of lose, like I said about rehab, you, you lose sight of what you're building until it's built a little bit. So I think when it launched, we all stepped back and we're like, wow, this is a great thing we just did. Like, cool. And now we kind of had to get started. I think the end of that year was really exciting to have put it all together. And then it's just a whole new type of work and getting people to write getting people excited about it, getting people to read it, because it would be a shame to have these student athletes pour hours of their hearts and, and their personal lives into a story and it has 10 people reading it. So um, we're at about 7,500 readers for our first season of athletes, which is huge, especially because we really didn't know what we were doing at the beginning, to be completely honest. But I was, like I said, just honored they asked me to help them um, at the beginning. And it's become, like I said, probably my favorite thing that I've ever been involved in it at UVA or been a part of. So happy that they did. And actually, if you're watching us on YouTube, I put the link to Uncut down at the bottom of the screen, uncut at uva.com. If you're listening to our podcast, this will be available on Wahoo's 24-7. So you click on the link so you can send over there so you can check out the site. You can also support the site by donating. If you click on the more button up top, just click like support us and you can have, you can donate there. You can also uh, send a note or something as well. So just so everyone Thank knows you. exactly where this is, Rebecca. So that. Thank you. Yes. Um, please check us out. Yeah, no problem. Um, and actually you touched on this. How does these things change of name, image, and likeness? Cause there's not much red tape anymore. Um, does it change how you approach it or kind it, of, do you have to it doesn't change anything. It's the same process for us. We don't generate any revenue. So like you you point out, we are entirely donor funded. I did apply for us to be a, a CIO, which is a UVA speak for club, a contracted independent organization. So we are like a registered school club so we can get funding from the university through like the Dean of Students office. Um, so to maintain our sort of like operating costs, pay for the website, pay for some of the like management tools. We use a platform called Asana to like manage the stories and manage people and things like that. So that's where all the money goes to any surplus money that we generate, we donate. So we did a, a fundraiser for the hidden opponent a couple months back that we donated um, just over $2,000 to them. So we don't keep any money. We don't generate revenue. So there's no NIL. We don't place ads or anything like that on the site. So there's no real NIL problems for us. But at the very beginning, we had to make sure that our processes were right, that it wasn't going to at least appear to be something that it wasn't, because like I said, we don't generate any revenue or, or anything like that. And uh, kind of speaking of uh, name, image, and likeness, obviously this is a brand new world the last year. Um, as a, a woman student athlete, as a female student athlete, how has it changed the game for you? Uh, do you, What are your feelings of NIL? I think when it first dropped, <laughs> I think when it first became a possibility, it was like, 
a manic, crazy, like, oh my God, everyone has to do X, Y, and Z right now. And I think now we're kind of settling into it a little bit more. And I think in the early days of it, people exclusively thought, I'm either going to become an influencer on Instagram or I'm not going to do anything. And I think people have slowly kind of realized there's a ton of other things that you can do if you're someone that really wants to be hands-on with kids, you could host a camp. I don't think that was top of mind in the early days. So I'm glad that at least in my sort of network of people at UVA and beyond are kind of moving more into settling settling down on what it is that they actually want to do. So that's a, a positive. I think on the more negative end, I think sometimes in the same vein, people don't really know what's out there for them. Um, I've been relatively selective, not to say that people are, you know, breaking down my door because they're not, but I've been pretty selective about what I, what I want to do in the, in the very early stage of it. Like that first semester, I think I maybe did two things sort of NIL related. And I, I have things that I care about and would be happy to engage in things that are just not for me. And I think as a woman, it's important as as a, or as a male student, as anyone in this space, important to know what it is that you want to do. So you don't just say yes to everything and spread yourself super thin or start doing stuff that you don't care about or that doesn't really align with your values or what it, what it is that you want to do. And I think for me personally, being a woman and being a woman of color, and I like young people, I've gravitated more towards things that are like speaking engagements for young women or something that's like more mentorship oriented over brand deals and things like that. Not to say that I wouldn't do that and I, that I haven't done that because I, I have done things like that. But I I think for me personally, I, I feel like I'm in a unique position to be a positive figure in young people's lives. And I think if there are ways that that can be sort of facilitated for me, I, I would jump out. And I have jumped at those kinds of opportunities, at least me personally. I think that's a really cool thing, especially, like I said, as a, as a young woman, as a young Black woman, I think that's a really cool opportunity that not not everybody gets. Yeah, I think a lot of people forgot that you couldn't do that before NIL. I, I think people automatically assume it's about cars and money and franchise deals and forget that you couldn't even talk to a little girl soccer team or you, you couldn't mentor stuff like that. You had to go through so much red tape and you couldn't even use your name to raise money for a charity. Um, yeah. So that opened a lot of doors like in that respect. It, it did. And I think that's something that, again, like I said, for me, I've the first NIL thing that I ever did was a, a positive body image seminar. Uh, I want to say it was in December. I have no concept of time. But back then, <laughs> I've spoken at a seminar with a couple other student athletes. Deanna Ardonias and uh, Cam Lexo and Laurel Ivory were three people on my team who also participated in that. Something like that would never be possible. And yes, we were paid for it, but I would have done it for free. But I just think those sorts of things... You, you don't think about as being an NIL deal. And I think it's almost a little uncomfortable to call it that because those sort of relationships and that set setting of young girls and their mothers and us is such a like intimate space that we just didn't have access to and that wouldn't have been what it was if it wasn't for NIL. And maybe we could have done something like that, but it would have to be structured in a, in a way that strips us of kind of ourselves a little bit. And it's it's hard to get the word out that, we are going to be doing something that's personal and related to us as the people we are, not as, you know, four women soccer players without being able to say that you're a soccer player because you, you lose that connection of who you are and what you do a little bit. And a lot of the girls that came to that event are girls that I know are fans of our team. I see them at Clockner on Thursday and Sunday. So that is a really cool thing to be able to do. And some of them I, I've never seen in front, I may never see again, but 
I visibly, I know some of the people that were there, some of the young girls have been to our camps since that we've had, you know, our team runs uh, residential and clinic summer camps. I've seen those girls that I met then at those camps. I've seen them at games. So I think that's a really cool, like I said, opportunity that pre-NIL was just impossible, or maybe it was possible, but it was logistically a nightmare that you just don't do it. So it's, it's awesome. Yeah, I think a, a lot of people didn't realize how much a student athlete couldn't do before NIL. They, some, sometimes you couldn't even do a work study because you, yeah. it was very, very difficult to manage everything. So yeah, yes. so NIL has its, there's some negatives to what NIL, what we're going, we're seeing with NIL, but there's definitely a lot of positives that are, we're also For seeing. Sure. And you talked For about sure. those girls being at Klockner. You're going to be at Klockner again. I know we just, we talked yeah. about early in the show. How excited are you for the upcoming season? How do you feel like this team chemistry has grown in the last few months when you used to be able to see? I think the one good thing, or maybe we shouldn't use the word good, but the one positive or silver lining about playing during the pandemic is that everyone got that year of eligibility. So it is impossible or, or pre-COVID, it was unheard of to have basically the same team play two years in a row just because people obviously grow up and move on and and move to the next stage of their of their lives you're in college typically for four years give or take you know red shirts and injuries and things like that but my entire class has returned so which is again that that's very 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 unlikely that that happens pre-covid so from a just interpersonal standpoint these are people i've now known some of them plot like i've known alexis banstrom since i was probably 16 but um we've now played together in the Virginia system at Klockner for now five years, which is incredible. Some of the younger girls who like our incoming class, we never would have played together pre-COVID because they're five years younger than we are. So I think that's a really cool dynamic to have older players that have played together for such a long time that are super close, but also younger girls that have had more time to get acclimated and meet people and, and bond in that sort of way that you just traditionally, you just don't get I also think the other, maybe not silver lining as much, but unforeseen consequence, positive consequence of, of that year was we spent so much time together um, and with only each other. So I think just, again, from that interpersonal piece that, that you asked about, this is probably the closest Virginia team I've, I've been on in my now going on five years here. So chemistry-wise, I think it's pretty unmatched, to be honest. I was going to say, because you guys have been playing for so long, you understand how you play. You understand just what you think. You can sometimes preempt what, you know, Alexa does. Do you feel like you guys have this idea going into the season that you have a target on your back? Because a lot of people are going to be talking about this UVA women's soccer side leading into the season. Um, I, I don't think it's necessarily about having a target on our backs. I think Virginia historically is always an incredible program. I think people... I would like to think at least respect our program and respect kind of what we what we have going on over here. So I think no more than any any other year. And like I said, everyone got that year back. So there are, of course, other teams in, in the ACC and beyond that have that same positive culture and have that connection of, you know, five plus years playing playing together. So I don't think that's necessarily an advantage, but I will say for us, our standards are very high and the goals that we have every year or at least every year that I've been here are always very high. And I think that translates to our performance being also very high. And I think, like I said, people respect that. Um, but I don't know. I don't know. I think like it, 
<laughs> every year it's very difficult to sort of gauge where everyone's at until you're in the thick of it. And by the time that rolls around, it's too late to care about what other teams kind of have set up and what their plans are, because that's just not the focus, or at least not if that's not the focus here. So it's a little hard to answer just because, you know, things change in a given year and, and we try and focus pretty closely on what our goals are and what, what we have kind of going on over here. And obviously you're, you're training now for the season. The season is coming really, really quickly. You're probably working on match fitness right now as you're just coming back to training, but what are some of the key things that you want to, as a team to do before that first match? I think right now it's just a matter of like getting all the pieces in, in the right place. Like, we have a pretty big team because of that. You know, on, on the one hand, it's great that we have a full class staying, but then on the flip side, we have an incoming class of six girls. So that swells the team up a little bit artificially. So we have a lot of numbers, a lot of moving parts, a lot of things kind of going on, having a much bigger roster. So right now, it's just a matter of getting everyone on the same page because 30 plus players is is a lot. And that's not typical of, of a Virginia team to be as big as it is. So that's just kind of a new layer of stuff to, to figure out and to manage. But I think we've been doing really well at that in this sort of like pre preseason phase that we just have captain's practice. I think this has been one of the better ones I've seen again in, in my time here, at least just from a consistency standpoint. And I think our team is always very competitive. And that's one of the key things I think that makes Virginia historically a great women's soccer program is that everyone is very competitive in that kind of way. So I think, Right now, it's just a matter of, again, figuring out sort of what works, what doesn't, how our style is going to evolve with new players. We always kind of have our core principles of how we play and what we want to do. But right now, it's just figuring out sort of how we fit into that, adjust it if needed, and kind of move into the actual preseason. It's coming around pretty soon, starting August 1st, and then get into the games and off we go. Well, I'm glad that you're starting to go and you're all clear. That was... The first thing you told us when we got on this call before we started recording was that you were just excited about that. So I'm happy for you, Becca. Thank you. Thank you so much. And, and obviously, again, I'm just going to say this again because they do so much great work. So again, it's uncut at uva.com. So again, these are student athletes telling their own stories. They're more than student athletes. So I really recommend you guys heading over to that site and, and reading and watching what they do. It's a lot of great stuff. And um, I'll be adding the link to our comment session on our YouTube and also putting it on our site on Wahoo's 24-7. So, Becca, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. And thanks for listening. And thank you so much, Rebecca, for joining the show. It's always nice to have you know other sports represented apart from football and basketball, especially women's sports. So nice having her on here. And I, I love the idea of having student athletes um, just doing – having a voice um you know that's something that i've i've wanted to do on this podcast too so it's nice that they have uncut uva again all that information is on our site and on the youtube comment section if you want to check it out as well so again a lot of stuff is happening on grounds not only fall sports is gearing up we'll have tony Elling and assistance available to media on thursday and then we will also start coverage for fall camp on august 3rd so make sure you stay with us but for today and for Becca Jarrett and for me, hope you guys have a good rest of your week.